Hey there, welcome to this excellent church. We believe the word of God is the charter of our lives and God's way to reshape values and reconcile men to himself. We hope this message brings edification, exhortation and comfort. Be blessed. Hallelujah. Where have hymns been all our life? Hallelujah. So, it's very interesting that I believe it was the Lord that put this topic in my heart like four weeks ago. And then since the day that I made up my mind that this would be the focus of the scholarship, in fact, I had something else in mind completely, right? I wanted us to examine the second century and I want us to look at the three um, apostolic fathers. I want us to look at St. Ignatius, Clement, and Polycarp. And, you know, I had some thoughts. I was like, it's good for us to examine those times and everything. And I had some, but, you know, around the line, this just came that um, this should be talked about. And I just, you know, I noted it. I told the diaconate that, see, that this is what we're going to do and everything. And it's interesting that immediately after that, all kinds of things have been coming up. All kinds of things I've been hearing, all kinds of things that, you know, have been coming up and everything, you know, that to show that this is actually very, it's very, very important. Now, this is actually a major part of Christian doctrine in the early church and throughout church history that the people that the apostles handed over the gospels to were very aware of. This is something that every ecumenical council and during the time of the Reformation, whenever all the, any council, whether Orthodox or Reformed, um, council sat down. This was something they were very aware of. That somehow we have forgotten. And you will see why this thing is very important, especially in the kind of context that we are now in, in the Nigerian Christian church. Right? This is something very important for us to understand. There is no sound theologian that can pass, that can be called a theologian worth his salt if he does not if, you are, if he has not considered this matter very well and see it very clearly, especially from apostolic position. There's a way that over time we've been carried away from this that the apostolic position on this subject matter of acceptable differences, we've totally forgotten it. We've totally forgotten it. And this matter, because it has not been addressed properly, is part of the reason why we have unnecessary denominationalism and it also opens the door for tyranny and control so that parachurch cults can easily spring up. It's something that if most Christians were aware of this issue, if most Christians were aware of these things, there are a lot of denominations that would have never started and there are a lot of churches that would not be able to pass with the amount of control and manipulation and indoctrination that they do for people. There will be a lot of tension and arguments that we have that will be unnecessary. A lot of arguments actually come from a poor understanding of this matter of acceptable differences. So we'll begin to look at it now from the scriptures. We'll see what the apostles actually say about it. We'll look at three chapters. We'll look at it well in an expository manner. And then we're going to have a very interactive session. You know, we'll talk about it and we'll hear because it's a very, this is not one of those messages where, um, you know, um, I don't know why it's, Jokes always come when I'm ministry. I'm not that. So let me just try and avoid it, but I can't help myself if it comes back, right? Okay, anyway, this is not one of those discussions where, um, you know, I talk down on you and the voice of your pastor is, you understand? This one we're going to discuss among ourselves. 
<laughs> we're going to discuss amongst ourselves. You understand? So, hallelujah. So, acceptable differences. They are actually certain doctrines that the church should be able to accommodate. There are some certain doctrines that to not accommodate them is error. Sorry, there are certain differences that to not accommodate them is error. It's very funny and strange, but it's actually true. There are certain differences of opinion that if a church cannot accommodate those differences of opinion, that church is not apostolic. That church is not apostolic. And it's something we must be aware about. Or must be aware of. And the thing has serious consequences if we don't know. Hallelujah. So we're together. First Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to look at this thing. We're going to understand what those means are, what those things are. We also hear from each other. Um, so, of course, um, members of TEC, we are going, going to interact with us by sending us, those that are not here physically, you send your contributions on WhatsApp and all that. So, but those who are not part, I'm sure that you enjoy our conversation as we go about it. Hallelujah. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge pops up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever, know, but whoever loves God is known by God. So it means that there are certain kinds of knowledge that if a, if a person has, is when the person does not know enough that the person will feel superior. And funny enough, in sociological sciences, they've actually found this out. Paul said it 2,000 years ago, but sociological sciences later found it out, and it's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. The, when people know little, they are proud. When people know more, they begin to calm down. It's very funny and it's very true, but it's very true, right? So there's a certain kind of knowledge, there's a certain level of knowledge that puffs you up. There's a certain kind of knowledge that puffs you up, right? And so those are the people that think they know something. They say those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. So that is why they are actually, let me just say this ahead. Let me say this ahead so that I don't, we don't waste time unnecessarily. You will begin to see now that there are certain levels of knowledge that because you differ from someone on that level of knowledge, you feel superior to that person. And the reason why you feel superior is because you don't know enough. The moment you know more, there are certain, the, the more you grow in the knowledge of God and the knowledge of God's word, you begin to find out that there are some differences that are acceptable. But we need to understand that since I didn't say earlier, as we say now, is that the problem is that the, a poor understanding of acceptable differences could also make someone to sneak in unacceptable differences. And that's where ecumenism comes in. You just call yourself Kinikon Association of Nigeria. And among the association of Kinikon of Nigeria, they are modernists inside. They are Arians. You understand what I'm saying now? Pelagians are inside. Everybody all kinds of heresies. But they, all of them are inside what? Association. And when they gather, they will say, this is what Paul was talking about. Leave every man to their conscience. They cannot leave you to your conscience with heresy. We cannot leave you to your conscience with heresy. It's a lie. <laughs> so, we need to know exactly what it is. Right? Verse 4. So then, about its eating food offered to sacrifice to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in all, at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if they are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, 
Yet for us, there is but one God, the Father, and from whom all things came, and for whom we live here, and there is but one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things came, and through whom we live. So there's only one God. Hallelujah. We acknowledge that there are many gods in the heavens and on the earth, but there's only one God. Right? And that makes a lot of sense. So when people say, you know, there's this naitis who say that there are 3,000 gods. Um, I just believe one less than you. Okay? Christians believe that all those gods are there, they are demons. So this one they are saying rubbish. They say, I believe just one less. I believe in all of them. I believe in God and I believe in the gods. They are all demons. They are just under my feet. You understand that? <laughs> Hallelujah. Verse 7. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. So this is the problem. They are not yet accustomed to this idea that there's only one Lord. So they come from a background where those other gods, they've been dealing with those other gods. Do you understand that? So obviously you can see that he's speaking from the perspective of someone who was a Jewish person, a, Ju- a, 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 a Judaist, being converted to Christianity from beginning. It does not rate any of the gods. But it's not the same as someone that was worshipping Zeus and Hera and whatever their names were. All these gods that they were worshipping. All right? It's different because he's coming from monotheism to monotheism. This one was coming from polytheism to Christianity, to monotheism. Do you understand that? So he's now telling that, see, with respect to when we enter Christianity, we don't enter Christianity from the same place. And so there are certain differences that we must... He said these people are not... They are accustomed to idols. Idols are part of them, right? These are people that, right from when they are small, they've been going for Ogun Festival, where they would dance for Ogun, they would dance for Ogun, and the Ogun chief priest would come, and um, they would sacrifice food to the Ogun priest. And then you will see someone that went there and mistakenly ate it, and his belly began to swear. And you saw it with your own eyes. You've gone for a good festival where they will do, they will sprinkle water on you and then they will bring out knife and then they will carry a dog and they will take the dog and they will use the knife, small knife like this. They will do like this and the dog will cut into half. And then they will cut their own body. The blood will not bleed. And you are seeing it growing up. You'll be seeing it growing up. Growing up. You grew up in a house where people swear by Ogun. Say, if I'm telling the truth, Ogun and Ogun will kill the person. You understand what I'm saying? Right? Persons are accustomed to the gods, to the idols. That when they eat sacrificed food, announces, and since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. So for that person, you that are coming from a monotheistic background, you can see, if they say they've offered this food to the idols, right? For those that, that come from that idol worshiping background, when they say you are offering food to the idols, it means that the idols, are, the idol has entered the food. And so when you eat the food, you are actually participating in the idol. That means a part of that idol is entering you. It means you are participating in the idol. The idol is entering you as you are submitting to the person. The person now gets saved and now says there's one God and God is Lord over these demons. But he still recognizes what those demons can do or not do. So when you are telling him to eat the food, the fact that Jesus is Lord does not contravene the fact that if he's eating that food, it's like as if the demons are entering him. So the person's conscience is weak and is defiled. 
But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. So, one characteristic, one characteristic of, um, you know, we'll come back to it. Don't hold on. That's nine. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your right does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if, for if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, wouldn't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So, the person knows that if I eat this food, right, in my heart, it feels like I see the demon is inside me. But he now sees Pastor Sam eating it. He now says, because Pastor Sam is eating it, I will eat it. Then he now eats it, and then in the night, he's now having bad dreams. And he believes that the demon is inside me. He's not going to Pastor Sam for deliverance. Because in his heart, he really believes that this thing he has eaten is what? There's a demon inside. So his conscience is not yet strong. So verse 11 now says, So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. Now this is the interesting thing about this scenario. Is that if the person actually believes that eating that food is participating in that demon, it means that for him to eat it is participating in the demon. Do you understand that? You, you don't believe that eating that food is participating in the, in the demon, right? But he believes that part, eating that food is to participate in it. So when you do it, it is not wrong. But if that person does it, he's, he's doing idolatry. So if the person does it because you did it, the person is doing idolatry just because he watched you doing it. Right? So he now says, verse 12, when you sin against them in this way and wound their conscience, conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat so that I will not cause them to fall, so that I will never cause them to fall. So Paul said all these things and he was speaking from the perspective of someone that knows that there are no demons. Because he's talking to a church where obviously this was a problem for them and was trying to address it. Do you understand that? So Corinth was like a major city town and this is what many people don't realize about Corinth. Corinth was like Lagos. And imagine there was no gospel in a place. The people now left Jerusalem and spread. Hellenists and all that. So it's not one person that brought the gospel to Corinth. Do you understand that? It's not one person that brought the gospel to Corinth. Many people came and they brought the gospel to Corinth. People that were not in even named. So that's why the Corinthian church had many instructors. Do you understand that? Because it was a big central town among the Greeks. So many people brought, you know, their own gospel and everything. And because of that also, people were saved from all kinds of backgrounds. And so they had differences of opinions on matters like this. So you will see some people that were Hellenist Jews that were in Corinth, that they have always known Yahweh, from Yahweh to Jesus. Nothing they happened. And then there's some people that were coming from, you understand? So Paul first spoke from the perspective of someone that knows that demons are nothing. Then go to chapter 10. From chapter, in chapter 10 from verse 14, he now begins to speak from the perspective of someone that his conscience is weak so that you can see it very well from both perspectives. Look at um, chapter, um, chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14. Verse 14. He now says, Therefore, my dear friends, free from idolatry, I speak to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving which we give Give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ. <laughs> and it's not the bread that we break a participation in the body of what? Christ. You see that now. Do you see that? All this, all this heretical talk. In the early church, 
the, I should not say Christian equivalent, but yeah, that's, there's no better word for it. The Christian equivalent of eating food offered to idols is participating in the communion. When you drink the cup, you are participating in the blood of Christ. If you are eating the bread, you are participating in the body of Christ. Do you understand that? So when those people were eating foods offered to idols, and you believe that the idol is in it, eating it is like participating in the idol. So Paul was now telling them, free from idolatry. But he was speaking, you see now, he was speaking specifically to those people that believe that the idol is in that food. So he was speaking from two perspectives. Look at this. Let's go on. You see, verse 17. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body. For we all share one loaf. So that one loaf itself was even an ex- was a type for us. Then when we come together and we break one loaf of bread to share, it's showing that all of us are the body of Christ and all of us are part of that body of Christ. So it's a demonstration of the fact that Christ is in us and we are part of Christ. Forget all this nonsense of now. They say, anybody else eat bread should go and eat bread. <laughs> Verse 18, let's continue. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifice participate in the altar? Do I mean that a food sacrifice to an idol is anything, or that an idol is anything? He now says, no. So I don't actually mean that idols are anything. But the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and drink the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and in the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Do you see that now? So if you are someone that believes that there is a demon in that food, you cannot eat demonic food and eat Christian food. And eat the communion. So he's not speaking from the perspective of someone that believes it. So he now says, verse 23, I have the right to do anything you see, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat everything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. You understand that? If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of what? Conscience. That's another level. He just added a third component that people don't realize. If you eat the food of an unbeliever, if an unbeliever believes that this food, anybody that eats this food is participating in a demon or their idol with me, and he now offers it to you, and you eat it because for you, as the Christian, you believe that there's nothing there. Even if that person is an unbeliever, the person believes that you too, you are eating demonic food with him. And he would think you are endorsing his lifestyle. He would think that both of you are what? Together. So because of that, you now say, I know you think that this food is like worshipping your idol. I'm not with you. So let me know it is. So you not misunderstand. There are a lot of things like that that you do just because you don't want people to misunderstand. Let me give you another one. Let me give you a, a good practical one, for example. Is al- for example, alcohol. Drinking alcohol. You can have legitimately that alcohol is not a big deal. But when boys and boys, when they are showering in the office, and they say, ah, Baba, take one now. To take it there can be wrong. Do you know that? And it's not hypocrisy. Do you know why? Because when you take, they will think that, ah, I'm a boy. Oh, God, I'm not a boy with you. If I'm drinking alcohol among other pastors, that, like Charles Spurgeon, we know what Charles Spurgeon is doing. Do you understand that? If 
Catholic priests are seated down and they drink alcohol, you know that we understand that it does not mean that we are a more boy. It just means the Lord turned water to wine. But when you drink alcohol in a beer parlor with our boys, what are they telling you? We are. So, he now says, what verse was I was now? He now says, 28. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then not it is but for the sake of the one who told them, for the sake of conscience. I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another consci- another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Greeks, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am seeking my own good, but, but I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be what? Saved. So, so that an unbeliever does not think that you are endorsing their alcoholic lifestyle. If you drink in front of them, they will think my alcoholism is right. If the pastor can drink alcohol, that means I can drink alcohol. No. I don't want you to think that your alcoholism is okay. Me, when I drink, I drink it sparingly. You, you are drinking like someone that's going to hell. So I will not drink it in front of you. Church, you understand that? So that's what Paul tried to explain now. So from this, these two chapters, right, we can see one major topic that Paul insists that people can have a difference on in the same church. And what is that? Food offered to idols. So that means that in a, in a church, in the body of Christ, there can be people that genuinely believe that the food offered to idol is to participate in the idol. And there are those that believe that the food offered to idol does not concern the idol. Or the, Lord, the earth is the Lord's and the what? Fullness thereof. And Paul says that both of them are right to do what their conscience tells them. And in fact, to manipulate or coerce or influence somebody to do what is contrary to their conscience, to force them to do something contrary to their conscience, is actually the evil thing. Do you see that? Church, are you with me? No, I just read the question. I'm going to read Romans 14 now. That there are some matters that if you force someone to change their stance, even though they are not convinced, to dissociate from someone because of their stance is actually wrong. There are some differences that you must accept. Romans chapter 14. So we have one of such examples, which is food offered to idols. Romans chapter 14 gives us two other examples of such issues. Romans chapter 14 from verse 1 says, Accept those weak in faith, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Now that's also mention and name it disputable matters, but it was too deep. Acceptable difference is very clear. People know that. This is what he's talking about. Right? So these matters are what? Disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. So that means our issues with Seventh-day Adventists cannot be based on the fact that they don't eat meat. So we have food offered to idols. Now we have vegetarianism versus people that people like us that eat meat. What are we called? Carnivores, okay. <laughs> Omnivores. Eh? <laughs> anyway, Omnivores and vegetarians do not have the right to go and... <laughs> Let me get what. <laughs> vegetarians and, you know, we that are like the Lord, <laughs> we cannot create new denominations based on this. Do you understand that? 
That's number two. We have food offered to idols. This one now we now have vegetarians versus carnivores. Carnivores. <laughs> Verse three. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. That means there are some differences of opinion that you're not supposed to look down on people on for. That you must not look at him and say, there are some matters that you are not allowed to. He says contempt. Look at them with contempt. That means that if you have issues with seven days Adventists, it must be for something else. It cannot be based on they eat only egg. Or tofu. You cannot look at them with contempt based on that. Let's go on. The one who does not and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does for God has accepted them. He now says, who are you to judge someone else's servants? To their own master, servants stand or form and they will stand for the Lord is able to do what? Make them stand. Verse 5. One person considers one day more sacred than the other. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Another doctrine, doctrinal difference. If some people want to go to church on Saturday, and some people want to go to church on Sunday, it is not enough reason for you to look down on them with contempt. That means, if you want to judge seven-day Adventists, it cannot be based on the fact that they eat egg and tofu. And it cannot be because their own church is on Saturday. You have to look for something else. Are you me now? Verse 6. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. For they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone. And none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life. So that he might be to the so that he might be the Lord of both the living and the dead. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. That it is written, as sure as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, and every tongue will acknowledge God. So there are some differences that are not meant to divide us. So we should be united in faith, but not uniform. Ah, you've not heard it before. Say, mm, like that. As if I said someone thing that somebody has not said before. <laughs> I mean, this is a common thing now, isn't it? Right? Un- um, unity is not what? Uniformity. Okay, me, I was saying since president. So those were the things that were using to warn people that year, right? Unity is not what? Uniformity. As surely as I am to them, what is this? Verse 12. So then each of us will give account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is what? Unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know for none of what you know is good be spoken of as what? Evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So when I was studying this, one of the questions I was in my mind is, obviously in the Bible we see that there are some matters that are, you are anathema for. There are some matters that you are anathema for. Serious moral failings and misconduct. Anathema. Deliver him to Satan. So Paul is not saying, everybody, don't judge, don't judge, don't judge. You know, like, 
progressive Christians will say, don't judge anybody. They judge people with Satan. Right? You see matters of doctrine and heresy. Anathema. Paul tell Timothy, such people don't have anything to do with them. Get them out. You understand what I'm saying? So, there are matters of doctrine and there are matters of conduct that are clearly anathema that you should judge people for. Paul told the Corinthians, ho ha. He said, there's some matters around you that you cannot judge for yourself. What's now the point of you being Christians? So, there's some matters that you judge. So, when he's saying don't judge, it's not a contradiction. He's talking about what we judge. Do you understand that? And what he's talking about here are, so I was asking myself, how do we know what those things are? Because it actually gets tricky and it's things that we have to sit down and really think about. And this is part of the theologian's work. Any theologian worth his salt must be able to answer this question properly and in an apostolic manner. What are these matters that we should not judge people for? What are these doubtful matters? What are are the acceptable differences that believers can have amongst themselves? One key I got. Let me read to the end first. Verse 18. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God, and receives human approval. Verse 19, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to what? Stumble or fall. You see, that's part of the reason why we don't drink. Sometimes we don't drink in public because it can cause somebody else to what? Stumble and think that, okay, Jesus turned water to wine. I saw my pastor sipping something, therefore I will now become an alcoholic. You understand that? Verse 22. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. So there are some doctrines that actually in church, you're not meant to preach, preach from the altar. Everybody should keep it between themselves. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever, he, but whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat. Because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is what? Sin. So if a person looks at food and believes that, you know, um, when a person believes that um, God actually intended for Adam and Eve to be eating vegetables in the Garden of Eden, and people only start eating meat after the flood, because of that, I don't want to eat meat. When I see animals die, I feel for them. I, don't, I just feel one kind of that. Okay, you know what? Fine. Keep it to yourself. Right, me. <laughs> I will also keep it to myself as I eat rabbits. Hallelujah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, this I should, not, should keep it to myself. So I shouldn't have said that. Okay, I apologize. Hallelujah. So, there are those matters. Now, I've made some notes, and this is where our discussions are going to start from. So, as far as I can tell from these three scriptures, I see at least three matters that Paul tells us that the Lord's Apostle Paul tells us that are disputable. These are matters that we cannot judge people for. These are matters that people can have differences about and they can keep to themselves. Food offered to idols, vegetarians versus meat eaters, and then special days versus no special days. I think these are pretty clear and all that. So what, what part we want to investigate are what those other things are. Now, there are two things I can tell is the message that Paul tells us here that we can use to know matters that are disputable. I noticed, I noticed that he said something. He said in verse 16, verse 17, that for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So it seems like these matters are matters that don't affect in any way the matters of the kingdom. And we've, we've, called, we've talked about what the kingdom of God is. Maybe I should just teach that thing again. 
what the matter, what the kingdom is. The kingdom of God refers to the reign of God with man. And the reign of God with man came by the Lord's um, incarnation and the preaching of the gospel through the apostles. Hallelujah. So the kingdom of God is the reign of God with man, which is God in our hearts, which is men receiving the gospel, which is the Holy Spirit being in the hearts of men all over the world. Hallelujah. So matters that pertain to the gospel. So these matters are matters that don't in any way affect the belief in the gospel and the message of what Christ did in us. These matters don't affect it in any way. So that means that a person can believe that this demon that I, I am no more worshipping is in this food. If I eat it, I am relating with him, I am participating with him. Yet, he believed that Jesus died, raised, died for his sins, resurrected and everything. It does not affect his belief in what Jesus has done. It's just that if he eats that food, he believes that he's interacting with demons. Church, are we together? And he does not want to be seen to worship idols in any way. A person can never eat meat in their life and believe everything about the gospel. A person can be having church on Saturday and believe everything about the world gospel. So it does not affect the gospel in any way. So there are no matters of the kingdom. Another thing that another thing that is common with all these things that I noticed is that forcing someone to act contrary to their conscience on that matter can actually injure their faith instead of edifying them. Do you understand that? So if you have a matter that if you force someone to act contrary to their conscience, it will actually injure their faith. This thing normally does not change their faith in God. When you now force them to act contrary to that matter, it can now injure their faith. So a person believes the gospel and everything about the gospel, but the person does not want to worship demons by eating demon food. But when you now force the person to now eat demon food, you are now actually enjoying his faith because he now believes like as if the Holy Spirit and demons are inside my body. Church, I get what I'm saying. Do you understand what I just said now? So two things I noticed. First of all, it does not have any, it does not affect the gospel or impacts the kingdom negatively. And to force people to act contrary to what the person believes until the person grows out of it by themselves, right? Or the person leaves that belief by themselves. If you force them to act contrary to it, it can now hurt their conscience. So if the person genuinely believes that Jesus resurrected on Saturday, I want to be having service on Saturday. You now say, no, you must not have service on Saturday. You don't have service on Sunday. You are not saved. Can you go, can you go? That's that person, person that doesn't go to church. You have not enjoyed the person. Church out together. If a person believes that animals are suffering, I don't want it and all that, and I always feel very bad when I see an animal suffer, and you now give the person meat by force, and the person is eating the meat and is now distressed. That I've caught, I'm eating the food, the body of, the body of someone that is what? Suffering, that injuring the person. Hallelujah. So those are two things I can tell, and this is where our discussions I try to wrap up as quickly as possible for us to discuss. Praise God. So let's get the mics available for folks. And let's get the mics available for people so that we can have very robust discussion. The first thing I want to ask is, apart from the things I've listed, right, what are the other matters, what are the other characteristics of what a disputable matter is, as far as you can tell from the scriptures. What, what are the other characteristics? Don't mention types of those documents, because we're still going to come. I have a list of 18 things that, you know, over the top of my head, I can, we can we, we examine, yes or no, disputable or not disputable, right? But before we get to that, what are the other characteristics that you can tell that 
Uh, what are the other things that you can tell are the characteristic of, you know, disputable matters? Hallelujah. You don't need to split from the person because of it. What are the characteristics of those matters that people can have and might, they might have differences about and they should have? Anybody? Anybody have any thoughts? Those at home... No, no, no. That's, a, that's an example. That's an example. I said, we're coming to it. Don't worry. So, so does um, maybe if the apostles or the Lord and prophet, maybe they only commanded it or not. Mm-hmm. Okay, I like what you're thinking. That's a very good one, right? Matters that the apostles, that is a very good one. I don't know I didn't think of that. Matters that the apostles and the prophets did not give us a clear stance on. You know, we talked about this. Matters that the apostles and the prophets did not give a clear position on all from their positions, we cannot infer logically that this is a position that the apostles had. Do you understand that? <laughs> on such matters, there's a very good example that, that will come up. So I think that's another characteristic. That's number three. Thank you very much, Dr. Edidia. Please give, him, um, give, give OJ the mic. Matters that may have a cultural slant to it. Very good. Mm, but within... May. Yes, okay. Me. I like that too. There are certain matters that cultural slants, yes. No, there are certain matters that have cultural context to it, that those things are not against the gospel, but in their culture, they are predisposed to, predisposed to see things in that way. I can give an example. I can, let me give an example. Okay. So maybe how a pastor dresses, for instance. Very good. So, he that that should not be named is Adaman that pastors should wear suits every time and well that's a very good one yeah yes so I'm sure that statement on its own all of us here have the same mindset so we understand what he's saying you know if you you take that statement outside of this context it can be stretched to mean anything from your culture is accepted but in this context we understand what he's saying there are certain matters that are cultural that are disputable and therefore people can hold differences about. That's a very good one. That's four. We'll come to that. Because one of those things is here. Okay. Because I know you people. What's up? Yeah. I have one. I don't know. It might not be a covering of your... No, no. We're coming to... We're coming to types. Hold on. (laughs) Don't worry. It's here. It's here. It's here. It's here. (laughs) Is here. Any other thoughts, please? Very, very, very good additions. Yeah, Paul, Paul has one. Um, I'm thinking, can we include matters that relate to church governance and rules that apply in church, like the time mm. people and the number of services people have? Mm. Okay. Well, well, in a sense, but it's not an overarching principle. We're talking about something that is overarching, that is common to all those kinds of matters that we can always use. Do you understand that? So, you know, some of these matters are not matters of governance, right? So, yeah, so something overarching. But I get what you're saying. Now, we're actually going to talk about some one of the examples, all the examples that you guys are coming up with. I have like, I have 18, and I know you guys are going to give me more. So, any other thoughts? Is there anyone on the group? So, we can just move on. Yeah. 
elders said uh, matters okay. that have okay. only arisen. Okay, that's a very good arisen in recent times due to advancements in civilization and technology. Yes, as long as the matter does not contravene the first four that we said, you know, it does not. That's a very good one. Matters that are subject of recent ad, um, technology. You understand? There was a time when we, only the priest had Bible. Then after some time, they printed Bible for everybody. You cannot now come and say people should not have Bible because before there was no money to make Bibles. Then phones now came. You now say if you are coming to church, you must not have phone. Anybody that's using phone in that church, they are not saved. That is a doubtful matter. Number five, that's very good. That's a very good one. Matters that have to do with matters that are have to do with changes in technology, not the spirit of Christianity. You understand that? Yeah. That's a very good Sorry, one. Sorry, I have a question. A question. Okay. Yeah, you mentioned earlier that casting lots is. Um, I can't hear you. You mentioned earlier that casting lots was like a Jewish. Can you hear me? That yeah, casting lots is a Jewish cultural, um, right? It is more than Jewish cultural, though. The yeah, moment. Yes, yeah. actually, that's the part of the question. That, um, yes, of course, but the basis of it was because they were so submitted to God's will that they did. But is it like something that if we carry over, if people decide to carry it over to this day, we speak against or we. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. See, any matter the apostles talk about, once the apostles enter the group chat, it's not a matter of Jewish culture again. But that's one of the things that people bring. They say, baptism was a Jewish culture. Oga, see. Once Jesus and apostles have entered the group chat, there's nothing like... Do you understand that? <laughs> so, if the apostles were going to use it to... Imagine you are in a council of six, six people. And the six, six people vote. And the six, six of them have the same opinion. Who do you submit it to? The Lord. Hallelujah. So, yes, if we insist. That is if it's six, six, right? Normally, we believe that, you know, the first level, if we pray, all of us can have the same beliefs and the same thoughts on the matter. But if it ever happens that we a place and then both of us, everybody equally are split on opinion, then we'll give it to the Lord to decide. Hallelujah. I have to. Yes, yeah. to marriage. Mat no, no, I say characteristics. Wait. Okay, okay, okay. The second one. I know. I don't even count. Okay, maybe that one might follow. Church and state. It's the example. We're coming. <laughs> no, it doesn't. No. Okay. I'm trying to understand better how it can be. Can, can you give her the mic, please? How it can be. I'm trying to understand how it can be a, a principle for knowing um, doubtful matters. So, there are people who are taking things that just because it's in the Bible. Okay. We know that there are some things in the Bible that are descriptive. Okay. But if we say, okay, inerrancy of scripture, the scripture is what is guiding us. And okay. go and lift to, to up the top of my head. Jesus spitting on sand and using. <laughs> yes. Do you understand where I'm going? Yes. So you see people doing things like that, or people who come and say Abraham had two wives. Okay, so what I'll say just in the scripture. So what I'll say is that, it like that. I, I completely against you. What I'll say is that the five principles that we have here account for that. Okay. The five principles that we mentioned account for that, right? Um the five principles that we mentioned account for that. So, for example, um they are not matters of the kingdom. So if it's not a matter of the kingdom, it's not affect the person's beliefs and all that. Yes, that's one. And listen to me. This message, there's a, there's a statement that you know, I was talking to these guys and they said, and they said something. They said, 
if you believe in solar scriptura, you cannot be approaching God's word expecting that to confirm your bias. You know that's one thing that happens to Protestants, solar scriptura people. Because you, you read your Bible more than most people and you are used to correcting people. And you are used to meeting people that don't know the Bible. You get to a point where on every matter you assume that the Bible will confirm your bias. It's an error you must not get into. The word of God can cor- correct you. So on this matter, actually, prepare your mind that there are some things that you have refused to accept as doubtful. That the word of God will tell you is what? Doubtful. If you are truly a scriptural person, you must accept. I hope we are good. Anyway, so... So, I, so the other one I want to add is um, um, like spectacular experiences, the belief that the um, Christian can receive the Lord's leading or experience the Lord spectacularly against belief that it's not like it's. I, I'm not. I don't want to say charismatic vices because that makes it like seems to blow it out of proportion. No, no. I'll give you an example. Okay. So I'll talk about characteristics of it. Don't worry. That one, you just hold it. We're going to talk about the examples now. So I'll start. No, so what he's talking about is an example of the level of expectation of people that have about miraculous and all that. It's an example. It's not a, it's not a general characteristic. So I'm just trying to, I want us to first stay with, we're already done with that now. I want to talk about the characteristics of those things. Those kind of things. What are the things that, what are the natures that those kind of issues have? No, that's an example. It's not a characteristic. We're coming to examples. Those matters are not, they're not, they're not many indisputable because if the person says something contrary to God's word, then it's disputable. Do you understand that? Uh-huh. So, yeah. Praise God. Characteristic. Yes. Okay. Um, Ora is asking that, um, could this be a characteristic or okay. um, things that, that were mentioned only once that were not emphasized? In the Bible, for example, the baptism of the dead in First Corinthians 15. Hmm, that's a good one. But the problem is, no, wait. Not, problem not, is, not emphasized, problem is just the, mentioned just once. Just mentioned once. The problem is, theoretically, Jesus has to say something once, only once for it to be true. Theoretically. So it's actually a deeper matter that we have to actually do to look at. Can we hold that till? We will examine it on its own because there are a lot of there are a few things that for and it's a very good point, right? But can we hold that because there are certain matters that um, doctrines are such like this. It can be stated clearly in one place. It can be inferred in another place, in multiple other places, right? So, are you talking about doctrines that were stated clearly in only one place, but people can infer it reasonably? From other portion of scriptures, because such doctrines are—I can't even think of one. Why are you talking about things that are purely stated only once? Like there's no other inference to it; it's stated only once. Is that what you mean? Please give her the mic so that those. So I, I think she's saying the whole thing of. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, mm. have you? Yeah, exactly. So, like, 
if we don't have two or three witnesses. Yeah, I, I, I'm disposed to agree. Yeah. I'm so basically, to. if we was just mentioned once, no inferences anywhere, just mentioned once. Just mentioned once. Yes. I'm disposed to agree. I'm disposed to agree. Yeah, I'm disposed to agree. Yeah, give him the mic. Why don't you agree? I'm, I'm disposed to agree, actually. Because what happens in such a case is that, what that means is that if there's no inference to it in any other scripture, it's mentioned in only that place, that means that two people can have difference of opinion and they don't have any arbiter to prove who is right. Because if a scripture is mentioned where, the winner of who is right about that scripture will lean on the strength of other scriptures. But if both of them don't have any other scripture to lean on, then we have to make it a disputable. And there are only there are only few like that, actually. In fact, right now I can only remember that baptism of the dead in First Corinthians. 15. That Jesus went to the dead, have you? No, no, no. There was a place where he said that um, and how shall we paraphrase and how do we account for those who baptize for the dead or something like that? You know that scripture in First Corinthians 15? Yes. As long as what the person is believing does not injure the gospel, as long as what the person says that scripture said does not injure the gospel. If the person gets a kind of revelation from it that now injures the gospel, you know that that one is... <laughs> but if the person's revelation of that scripture it does not injure the gospel and any opposition to that person's belief, both of them don't have any other scriptures to lean on, then absolutely. What's your own uh, view? Me, I think they still fall under descriptive and prescriptive. If, if something's going to mention only once and you're going to take it as not authoritative in terms of um, prescriptive practice, then it has to be descriptive. However, if it is not, because if and so you are making the point. No, no, I, no. Then it's not the issue. Is not that it was mentioned once. It was that it's descriptive of something, no, and it, it's not prescribing something. Because if you say one mention is, do you get what I'm saying? Okay, okay. Oh, yeah, so so, so that one mention, if it is prescriptive, it uh, changes the ball. It changes game. the dynamic entirely. Yeah, that scripture is not prescriptive. It's descriptive. It might be exactly. That brings us to what you said. Do you get what I'm saying? That brings so us the, to so the, so the, what do you call it again? The arbiter for whether we take something as is what she uh, said. Is what yes. Mama is saying. So what that brings us to what you said. That, that brings us to what she said. That actually, a, a, a common characteristics of doubtful matters is that they, are, they tend to be descriptive. Do you understand that? Do you, understand, do, you know, do you guys understand how we just arrived there now? So there are matters that are not telling us what to do. They are describing what happened. So, and so you cannot if... No, but the issue is that... No, the issue is that... If... The, the issue is that... It's, the problem is that these matters are taken as prescriptive. That's the issue. No, but you know the problem. The, pro the real problem is... I, I, I get what you're saying. I'm saying for that point, why I'm very, very reluctant or vehemently against it, is that, <laughs> is that the first thing is, scripture needs to, if scripture is truly sufficient for us, right, if it is clear on the matter, right, and it's clear once, you know, I've said that already. It's okay. Yes. Now, where it is fuzzy, most times where it is fuzzy and it's one matter, usually it's this descriptive point. Yes. Like the baptism of the day. First, first of all, apart from the first three verses or maybe first ten verses of First Corinthians 15, the remaining are very problematic. That's the truth. For to be honest, but in terms of um, because now we're deciding on rules, we're not deciding on examples. Yeah, right. The better rule to follow to pick what she's trying to say is to that say if it's something happens once and, it's, and descriptive. it's descriptive, then we can we can okay. pass. Yeah, yeah, okay. That's that's good. So that's um. Should we call that rule number six now? Are we writing it down? No, descriptive. If it is a descriptive matter. 
Yes. Yes, so fight them. So if Yeah, 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 yeah. So okay, no, let's just let's just run it. Let me say it again. Number one is number one, they don't enjoy the gospel. They are not matters of the kingdom. One. Number two, forcing them, forcing people to act contrary to their conscience will now actually injure their faith, isn't it? Two. Number three was what? Matters that the apostles are not clear and the, the, the apostles don't have to be clear about. Funny enough, is is bringing, is close to what's, is close to this. Things that the apostles did not prescribe, but the apostles did not take a stand on. Three. There are, are also matters that are of cultural significance and not, um, you know, four. And then they are usually descriptive matters, right? And Yes. What? Yes, then, yes, number five. Then number six is that they're usually matters of advancement in technology and not necessarily apostolic doctrine. So, that's number five, technology. And number six is they're usually descriptive matters. Hallelujah. Okay. Um, no, the apostles have a position on that. Colossians 2 and all that. The apostles have a position, Galatians 4, 5. The apostles, the apostles have positions on ceremonial issues. But then again, I get your point actually, because one of the examples I want to use. Um, so let's start. One that I wrote here, pedo baptism versus credo baptism. Doubtful or not doubtful? Pedo baptism versus credo baptism. Doubtful or not doubtful? Anybody has a difference of opinion? Okay, pedo-baptism is the idea that babies should be baptized with water, and not just that they are baptized with water, that when we baptize them, we are saving them, in a sense. But I'm not articulating it well. It is the belief that by baptizing the child, we are welcoming the child into God's household. And as that child is raised in a Christian family, one day the child will actually believe the gospel for himself. It's the sense that the child of a Christian should be considered part of God's household. If the person grows up and leaves the gospel, it should not be, it should not be considered someone that was this thing, but an apostate have been issued. Do you understand that? But basically, the person is not, they are not rejecting that you have to have faith to be saved. They are just saying that we are bringing you into God's house before you can have believe, because when you believe, you will be inside God's house. But they're not rejecting that it is by faith that you are saved. Do you understand that? And of course, credo-baptism is that you should baptize people when they have confessed the gospel and they have believed what Jesus has done. Do you understand that? That's the difference. So, is it a disputable matter or, sorry, ah, Paul's English has scattered this thing. Let me not use this table. Is it an acceptable difference or not? Is it an acceptable difference or not? Time is not, we have short time. More. If not, we'll continue next Wednesday. Then maybe we'll continue. I next think week. we should continue. But for me, the way I put all this, <coughs> the judges or the rules for the acceptable is in questions. So, number one question Does this matter affect the kingdom of God? No. Is there, anybody that, is there anybody that differs? Does it affect the gospel? This one <laughs> is looking paku paku. Talk. I want to hear. No, I'm asking you, does this matter affect the kingdom of See, God? See, you must submit to God's word. This one is not a matter of, I hold this doctrine very dearly. Uh-huh. Okay. Honestly, no. Finish. It, it, it depends on articulation. <laughs> no. Honestly, no. It depends on your articulation and how it works. Eh, we are fed now. No, no the, so the way I'm looking at the second question, if you force a person like Flo 
to act contrary on that matter, will he enjoy his fate? He will not be happy. It will affect him. Okay. If, if he believes that, if a person believes very strongly, like the early church, that when a child is born, eh, the child is in my family. You must dip him in water. And he said, no, no we're not going to... Bring soap. Let me just bath the baby. I know I'm bathing your child. No. So it's like, it's like a... It's like a no, when the baby, see, let's not start that one now. Hmm. Let's just agree. Yes, if someone holds to it, if the and person holds to it passionately, to we don't them. need to tell the person that they must change. It's like going to the Orthodox Church and telling them that all of them must stop baptizing their children. Yeah. There's no need. Did the apostles take a stand on it? Yes. Pido, yes. yeah. the child. Where? Was that stand prescriptive where? or where descriptive? Did they prescribe? No. There's no way the apostles prescribed and said, you must baptize your babies. There's no place. Was it prescriptive it. or descriptive? It was descriptive. And Cornelius and all his house was baptized. It's what? There were children there. No, no, no. Let's assume. But it's a, there are children. Let's assume there were children. And who, oh, By normal... Wait. Either way, we are saying the same thing. It was descriptive. So, Mm-mm, no. What I mean... <laughs> You want them not to take this thing. I told them. Wait. Please give him the mic. It's more like he satisfied the conscience of the parents than he does the child. Uh, it's okay. We know. That's the point. No, so there's no need. That means, that means, that means, that means, that means, if, that means the patient is, the parent is drawing assurance. Either way, we uh, can agree that it's unacceptable. So if they act contrary to it, is it cultural or scriptural? No, no, it's not. No, it doesn't. Okay. Let's just finish it and say that it's not prescriptive in the Bible. Yeah. And um, it's also, we can't, we have to read into the text to make it descriptive. So, for example, for example, for example, in the book of Acts, the Bible tells us that when Philip went to preach in Samaria, after he preached, the Bible says the men and the women of that city were baptized. Yeah. So, he didn't mention, he just said the men and the women. Now, assuming he said that everybody was baptized, we can, you know, we can just do Odoji. I agree, I agree. So, we have I to agree. read the description into it. But, Thank but you very seriously. much. See, but it does not make it descriptive now. It does not make it descriptive. It does not make it descriptive. Wait. We're giving the mic. <laughs> <laughs> a father of probably 12. <laughs> but yes, I'm, I'm, I'm joking, but actually, yeah. it's actually very, it's actually not. Yeah. So it's an acceptable difference. Do we agree? Yes. Okay. Okay. So, but Pastor, I, we just want to make note that the great fathers of this faith, all of them, we know, we know. We know I get you, I get you, I get you. Don't worry. I, I get you, I get you. Oh, yeah, let's move on now. Sorry. Let's move on. It's okay. It's okay. Please, grab the mic from him. And not, this second one is more serious. This one will take more from us, right? It's still an acceptable difference. An example to a test. So, and we put it to everything. And we now ask the final question. Did we see any of the church fathers doing it? I'm asking that that question, is it okay to use it as a test or it doesn't hold water? Mm. It's, it holds water as to at least not tell people that they can't do it. At the very least. It also holds water to let us know that it's something that um, 
he is highly encouraged. Let me use it like that. But it's not enough to be. It's not enough to be. It's not already it's not already No, but if if we're going to be if we're going to avoid if we're going to avoid future issues, right, from the other guy that shall not be linked, you know. What we the law we came up with, and I think many Protestants, if solar scripture means anything at all, yeah, it has to mean that for a protestant to look at scripture, right? He has to marry yes, exactly first. So we have to marry biblical theology yeah. with patristic theology. So yeah. you can't have one or the other, just yeah. So like some people that say we look at the scriptures and we should not baptize. You know? <laughs> <laughs> These ones are not serious people. Hallelujah. Okay, this one is this was pretty this one is pretty intense, and we had a discussion about this in our eschatology series. I have a lot, we have a lot of things to do. This one is well, what happens after hell? Annihilation, ECT, or refining? Acceptable. Is that a disputable matter? Acceptable. 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 Sinners will born. Acceptable. No, no, no. Sinners will born. Forever. <laughs> okay, wait. So. Acceptable. Yes. Yes. Is the hell. It's not a question of. There is no hell. We are all it's not a question of there's no hell. There is hell. But, but annihilation method, there's no hell. Remember when we did eschatology? Annihilation is giving. Uh, I'll just go into. This one is actually tough. Mm -hmm. Let me tell it's you. Acceptable. We did. We did. We did. Uh, what do you call it? A, a study. One thing that is clear is that there's hell. Everybody listen to me. If you don't know Jesus, you are going to hell. <laughs> That one is, just keep that one. I just know that you will suffer. That one is not even the distance now. Um, the question here is this. Will the hell correct your head or you will be born there forever or you will disappear? Uh, that's not the answer. Oh, fire. Oh, this is what fire he said. He's still not. <laughs> Do you know why? Do you know why? This one is actually, this one is actually Okay, let's ask the six questions. Do they affect the gospel? Yes. How? No. If, if the answer is yes, we have to take a stand. What happened after hell? No. Please listen very well. Yes. It, it can. For some, if, like, if, the torment, if the torment of hell can correct my belief, like if the torment of hell can subjugate my soul in such a way that eventually I turn to Christ and then so I don't believe, to believe the gospel. Hmm? I don't need to believe the gospel. I can just endure that That's suffering it. to the point where and then I'll enter heaven. Wait, and is, and so that means I'll enjoy the pleasures of life. Universalism. And I'll still be assured wait, of, of heaven. Please let me say at least as well as I brought universalism as a debate in this church. And let me say it clear: universalism is not a position of the church, Catholic Church. It's not a position of the Catholic Church. Let, let me just say it. Universality is not the position of the Catholic Church. Yes. It's not the position of the Catholic Church. The How Catholic Church, the just believes you will go to hell. What happens can be different. But universality is not one of them. Universalism is a, a opinion of several church fathers, not the opinion of the Catholic Church. This is my point now. Should we allow those church fathers to hold their beliefs or should we tell them they should shut up their heretics? <laughs> Praise God. So I think, I think, I think, yes, it is. It is. It is. It is. <laughs> I think, I think, hallelujah. Praise God. I wanted everybody to actually have that conversation so that we can actually realize. I think 
I think is it's is not an agreeable difference. I mean, sorry. It's not an acceptable difference. I think as a church, as part of the Catholic Orthodox Church of Christ, Apostolic Church, we should affirm the city. If we are wrong, Jesus will tell us. <laughs> I think so. Because actually, it actually has it has implication. Eternal conscious torments. Yeah, you can say you are hopeful. You can be like Peter and say, um, I, I hope everybody will be saved. That's fine. We hope everybody will be saved. That somehow God will save everybody. But we are, I think it, it actually it matters. It touches the gospel. It touches it. Praise God. Okay, okay. Let's take, let's take um, two or three more. Having a pagan son name like uh, Ogojimi. Having a pagan son name is, a, is an acceptable difference. If someone wants to change it because you don't want to see Ogun, please change it. It's an acceptable difference. Okay. Modalism. Heresy. Wait, wait, so let me say it. Let me say what it is. Modalism is the belief that, that, Jesus, that God is like ice, water, and steam. So sometimes God is ice. When he's ice, he's the Holy Spirit. When he's steam, he's the Father. And when he's water, he's the Holy Spirit. Or Jesus, or God is like Josh too funny. Or Josh is like, God is like Josh too funny. He can come out in the New Testament as Jesus. And then he goes back. He will come out another place as the father. So they don't, you don't believe that there are three persons, co-concurrent, co-eternal, at the same time. There's only one you can see part-time. So Jesus and God the Father are not two. You are the one speaking English. Yes, he was acting. So when Jesus was talking to the Father, he was acting. So is there an acceptable difference? No, no. So, if, if anybody affirms modalism, the person is an atema. He's a, a heretic. Heretic. Okay, this is these are the implications of this. Is, these are the implications of modalism. So that's why it actually touches the gospel. The implications of modalism is that, um, for example, let's look at what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. It means that Jesus could not do what he said he did. It means that Jesus was lying when he was saying he was praying to the Father. It means that when the Bible says that the Father sent him to come and die on our behalf, that Jesus he was lying. So, it means, it means that God is not actually inside us. Because you can only have one part time. So, it actually means that God is not inside us. Yes. So is that that God is not inside of us or God is inside of us and is not omnipresent? He has a lot of implications. Or even on the doctrine of God, a modernist God is not maximally great. Yeah. A modernist God is not maximally great. It's only where he is that he is. So it was not possible for him to be the father and the son at the same time. Yes. You know, there are many reasons. There are many things. So...
the difficulty sometimes in articulating the Trinity. Yeah. And how we can just fall into yeah, working on, and before you know it, you said one thing or the other thing. Because I think that's where the major error is. You hardly say people, okay, except the very obvious ones, you hardly see people that will come and say, when Jesus was praying to the Father, he was, he was just the deceivers. <laughs> you hardly see, hear them articulate it that way. So that's what I was asking as far as the implications to the gospel, as far as tying yeah. it to even the first, it doesn't pass the first test. Yeah. And why it's um, that modalism part. There, there, so, there, are many, there are many, many things because the son had to be our intercessor. He also had to be the lamb that was slain. And he also had to offer that sacrifice to someone. So that means that our sacrifices were not offered to someone. Our sins were not offered because there must be someone that receives the sacrifice and there must be someone that must offer the sacrifice. That's why God is actually not our meat. Yeah, so if, if you don't understand the, the Trinity, please just get the message on Trinity. It's not today that we'll talk about it. Do you understand that? So, but anyway, I just want to tell you that if you believe that you know, Jesus Christ is ice steam and water, you're a heretic even if you don't know. So it's better for you to learn now. Hallelujah. It goes without saying that Arianism is also yes. is an unacceptable. Arianism means that God created Jesus. So there was a time when Jesus was not. So that's why we call Jesus eternally begotten. There was no time in existence that there was the Father that there was not the Son. If someone says that when God speaks, he now says, let there be lies, that's when Jesus now came out. He's a heretic. He's not a heretic, he's a heretic. Hallelujah. The same as the first one. It's even, it's even worse because Jesus is not there for an eternal being. Jesus is not immortal. He's not a truly immortal God. He's eternal. And because of that, he cannot carry the sins of the whole world. That's one of the things that we need to hold in the comedians and the areas. Is that if Jesus is a created creature that is just human beings times two, how can he carry the sins of the entire world? How can all things be made through him and for him and by him? It's not possible, right? So it must be of the same substance with God, the Father, and everything. So Arianism is also... It's an unacceptable difference. Pelagianism, is it an acceptable difference or not? Pelagian. I will explain. I think we'll stop here. Pelagianism is just simply the belief that there's no original sin. Original sin is the idea. So there are two things. Ancestral sin, generational sin, generational faults. Original sin can mean two things. But for the sake of speaking particularly, let's use the technical terms. Original sin is used to talk about the fact that humanity inherited a sinful nature from Adam. There's a different matter called original guilt, which is also sometimes called original sin. Original guilt is the fact that technically, even if you never committed a sin, you're already guilty. Technically, if you never committed a sin, you are guilty. That means that it is possible for God to judge a sinless person, right? Technically, right? However, original sin just means that we did not inherit everything. All of us are born righteous. That when they burn us, we are clean. That you are clean. You will never do evil. That in fact, when you start doing evil, it's because someone taught you. It's not because it's from inside. Now, the problem and the reason why it is not, it is an unaccessible difference is that Pelagianism suggests to us that a person can be saved outside of Christ. Because if you are born righteous as a child, you can actually live a sinless life. And if you live a sinless life, God cannot judge a sinless person. And therefore, such a person does not need the gospel. It also means that what, it's, what is required to um, save a person, it also means that a, non, a someone that does not believe the gospel 
can be more righteous than someone who Jesus has washed away his sins. Church, all together. So it actually affects the gospel. It does. So that's why it's not an honor. Can, if someone is a Pelagian, he's not a Christian. Yes. If we insist that we are Christians, then the person is not a Christian with us. Because what the person is telling us is that the blood of Jesus is not necessary for everybody. Hallelujah. So Pelagian is an unacceptable it's an unacceptable difference. Hallelujah. You know what? Let's continue next Wednesday. Okay. Let's just do covering of hair. Covering of hair. Oh, no, no. Let's leave that one. That one is more technical. Let's do... Um, let me look at... Wearing trousers and wigs and attachments. Oh, okay. No, now. But let's say for people that are online. You people will know. Let's say for those that are online. If a person... If a... If a if a, if a sister does not want to wear trouser and a sister wants to wear trouser in the same church, is that an acceptable difference? I think, it's a, I, I think it's an acceptable difference. Is there any difference of opinion? I think what is unacceptable is um, excess, in, in moderation in dressing. And immoderation can fall to both trouser and skirts. So, is there anybody that has a difference of opinion on that? So this is what you are saying. I think that what gets lost in the conversation, except I said for because the truth is, with accept with acceptable differences, there are unacceptable underpinnings that inform how people see it. So, for example, right, um, there's an unacceptable difference. For example, we can't take legalism. You, you know, if somebody is a legalist. He, so if somebody's saying that you must wear trousers, yes. you know, that's an unacceptable difference. That's very good. So uh-huh. the person is now doing what Paul said exactly. you should not do. So I'm saying that, so I'm saying that, this is what I'm saying. I'm saying that also the flip side is um, antinomian doctrine, which is that you, you can, can just wear do anything, anything you like. Just wear, yes. wear, I mean, sisters are just by themselves, it's brothers that cause brothers to sin, yeah. and things like that. You know? So I'm saying that with, un- with acceptable differences, whatever we're going to do, right, we have to do it um, with things that are acceptable differences, we have to look at if the spirit of those things are in line with the text or not, because that's the real issue, right? Because some things are look expedient, but they are not for a cultural context. You know, yeah. I can't go to Komaius now and say that it's okay for people to wear skirts. No, you must wear trousers. Yeah, cover your leg, cover your hair, cover everywhere because yeah. of because they are grown in nakedness. Yes, you know? and things like agreed. that. Agreed. So agreed. Right. So you said, um, using this example, you said there's an underpinning of legalism that is possible. If we take the scripture that we read and we begin to ask the question as to why does someone believe that they are eating food offered to idol? Because he said something about baby Christians. So that's the part I want to bring. Is it possible that you have a person still having that legalistic tendencies as a baby Christian? Is, is it possible that that's the actual problem? But if you also say, my, my main two questions. One, from the scripture we read, if we are going to the why, right? The why of somebody saying they, they don't want to wear trousers is legalism. What's the why of somebody saying they don't want to eat food offered to idol? That's a very, very good question. So we already know the why. Paul told us the why. For people that wear trousers, the why is very interesting. It's a very, very good point. If your why is that once you wear trousers, you're going to hell and you ignore the sacrifice that Jesus made for sins, that one, you are touching the gospel. 
so it's unacceptable. So uh, all those um, prophetesses and what's the name of that woman that that funny woman that we're talking about? Okay, yes, mommy, that mommy woman that was saying that if you wear trousers, you're going to hell. That's one. Is 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 an unacceptable difference. You cannot tell people they're going to have trousers with um, because they're wearing trousers. However, if a person, if a believer believes that, it's not right. Trouser feels wrong. From where I'm coming, it's only bad girls that wear trousers. And if I wear it, I feel like I'm being a bad girl. Or when I was in the world, these are the clothes I used to wear. Now I'm saved. I don't think I should wear it again. Ah, sister. That's the gospel. The only thing is that just don't tell other sisters that are wearing trousers that they are going to hell. And Dr. Femi asked a question that's very important. He says, if a person does not know better and the person is ignorant, should we still call the person a heretic? No. We'll call the person a false teacher or the person, we'll call the person error. Then we'll, this is the orthodox position. This is the, what the early church did. We'll call the person a false teacher because it's not everybody that you have time to talk to one-on-one, -on -one, right? So what they do is that you call the person a false teacher. You say the person is teaching what is wrong. Whether the person means well or the person does not mean well. When you now confront the person and show the person from God's word, and the person insists on teaching that, you now call the person a heretic and anathema. That means you now say, be gone from us. You are not part of us. You are a heretic. So actually, the word heretic is reserved for those that are anathema, to be fair and to be just. So that word heretic, we throw it around in nowadays that has almost lost meaning. The same way people just call misogyny. Every kind of sexism is just misogyny. Misogyny actually means that he hates women, not... Um, I don't think women can work. That's not misogyny. You understand? You just throw the word around. Until you see real misogyny. And then it's not have, not have power again. So heresy, being a heretic, is actually a heavy word. It's a heavy word. It means the church has confronted this person twice. The person said, no, I will teach what Satan wants me to teach. You now say, get out. So until then, until you talk to someone face to face and confront them, you shouldn't call them a heretic. You should call them a false teacher. Whether they mean well or not, it doesn't change the fact that they are what? Teaching falsehoods. So that's, that's actually the way it should be. Hallelujah. It's already past eight. You guys are enjoying this happening. If, if a person affirms elements of Marcionism, that means, let me give an example. If a person believes that um, um, certain things that the prophet said um, the Old Testament, that it was God that was acting in vengeance. Whenever you see vengeance or judgment, there was Satan that was acting. And the New Testament, you should focus on Paul's letters and not those other legalistic letters and the Gospels. Is that unacceptable? Unacceptable. Difference? That is. Can okay. someone tell me why it is unacceptable? Hellfire. <laughs> the, the, the first thing is, we want to. It, 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 Based it, on our standards, yes, why first, is it unacceptable? First of all, it, it, straight, it goes straight to the doctrine of God, straight. So, I mean, it means that, the God, that God is inconsistent in all his ways. One. Right? It also means that God is not sovereign. Good. Because people could do things that he didn't want to happen. Yeah. But, yes, the angels can go rogue, you know. Mm -hmm. The heavenly host, however it is. I, ironically, do you know the very stupid It's open season. No, beyond that, sir. In Genesis chapter 1, these people read Genesis chapter 1 and tell us that um, let us make man is the heavenly host, you know, and they acted in one accord. Then, after Genesis 1, they stopped acting in one accord. See, Jesus Christ comes. <laughs> so, I'm like, first of all, it attacks, it attacks the very fundamental part of the gospel, which is the doctrine of God, because the gospel starts from God. Yeah. You know, the other part is that it also gives Satan a power that the scriptures does not give Satan, mm -hmm. right? Autonomy. Satan is not autonomous. It doesn't act out of God's will. So. Another part that is actually. Another thing that leads to is inerrancy of scripture. scripture as well. It actually attacks the credibility of the prophets. So if someone says, 
prophet Isaiah, you did not know what you were saying. Or Moses. Moses, Moses did not know better. If someone says Moses did not know better, but the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews chapter 3 that Moses was faithful in all his... Pisam, they also say that Peter was legalistic. Yes, and someone now says God's apostles were legalistic. We should focus on Paul. And when Paul now says God has wrath, he now says Paul meant something else. That actually contravenes the gospel. Someone can be saying that now while thinking that the person believes the gospel. But the people that that person teaches by the next generation, they will not be Christians. They would not affirm the inerrancy of scripture. God will not be God as we know him from the scriptures, but it will be an open-faced God that Satan, if Satan is doing whatever he likes, the prophets would not have the infallibility that the Bible ascribes to them. So it actually touches master of the gospel. Therefore, it's an unacceptable difference. Professor. Yeah, it's an unacceptable difference. Yes, um, she has it. If someone does not, if someone is on the wrong side of the unacceptable difference, refuses to change, but still believes the gospel at heart. For example, what is the gospel that he believes? That Jesus Christ died, was buried, and that he rose again. But this person, right, let's say my enemy, is a modalist. <laughs> but the that person is believes the, point. the gospel. So That's what? Wait, so then what? So then. That, that, so are we now saying. People are bullying me. They are bullying Wait. me. <laughs> Please allow her to speak. Yeah. So we're now saying that. So what? So we're now saying that. Oh, the person must believe the gospel and also believe these things. Yes. To be saved. Because all those things are what makes the gospel to be true. So this is the thing. Is one minute past twelve? A person can say with their mouth that I believe that Jesus died and rose again for my sins. But the person does not know what they are saying because they can be making an internally incoherent statement when they believe other things. Because there are some other things they believe that are inconsequential with that. And if they hold those beliefs, eventually, it, they will come back to find out that they don't actually believe what they actually said. For example, someone that is a modalist cannot say that he believed that Jesus died, rose again, and, according to the scriptures. Do you know why? Because the Bible tells us that it was God the Father that raised him from the dead. So if God is a modalist God, how did Jesus raise from the dead when there was no Father that raised him up from the dead? Okay, next question. Right, sorry. Please, let Shaye say what he wants to say, then you ask your question. So, I was going to also say that the modalist Jesus cannot die for your sins. He cannot die for your sins. Because he is not eternal. He's not eternal. And he is created. An angel could as well die for you. How will he stand at the right hand of the Father forever to make intercessions? Because if he's making intercessions at the right hand of the Father, who is the Father that he's making intercessions for? So, if a modalist Jesus cannot be your eternal high priest, do you understand that? He cannot be your, your, your savior. So when the person says, I believe Jesus died and rose again, the person does not believe it. He's just saying that, but doesn't believe it. It's the incoherence. So the, the, the modalist has to decide, are you a modalist or are you a Christian? So when is the modalist saved? Is it when uh, all his beliefs Until he rejects modalism. So all his, all his beliefs, okay, he rejects modalism and then he believes something else. And then like all his beliefs must tally for Everything him to be must tally to be coherent with what the apostles thought. If he does not tally what the apostles thought, he is not a Christian. Wait, wait, wait. I know, I know where Murray was going for yes, to. Uh, because, because, you know, I'm learning from my brother to be more nice to people. Um, the truth is, I think there's, there are people that, um, the, the first thing is, I don't know if that applies to you, but the first thing is there are people that are in, in their heart Trinitarian, but they are not taught well to explain. No, I'm talking about, yes. I'm talking no, about, no, about I know, Peter, I know I'm, I'm explaining to her. I'm just explaining to her. No. So there are people that in their hearts, and I know many people, I mean, I, in my church in Abuja, when I was, 
when I was in their believers class, they taught me that, you know, the Trinity is like this. That Jesus, like your father, when he's in the house, he's daddy in the workplace, he's Oga in the office, he's president. That's modernism, you know. But they don't, they, he didn't, he meant to explain the Trinity. He was just not well trained. I mean, the Lord, the Lord sees the person's heart, you know, and that's fair. Now, that's a different case from somebody who sat down, looked into the scriptures, and then taught you that Christ entered God, right? Sorry, there was no Christ. It was the Father. Then Christ came out of God, and God told God to go, you know, and then God told God to come back, then send the Holy Spirit, and things like that. The other part is, like Peter said, there are times where the person can re-echo something and not believe it in his heart. The Bible is replete with stuff like that. The fourth part is, there are things that even demons say, that Christians say as well. James exactly. 2, right? says that even the demons believe that. The, the point is, your faith, you, we don't have to be uniform in everything, right? But we must be aligned on the majors. Part of the majors is that the Christ we believe in is eternal, right? Co-eternal with the Father, always existing, right? Equally sovereign, but he decided to put down his um, divine privileges as Philippians yeah. 2 says, says, right? And then we also, have to believe, we also have to believe that Christ was truly God and truly man. You know, he because I've done what he did. He yes, he be, if he was either, he was, if it was more God than man, he couldn't die for us. If it was more man than God, he, he would not qualify for death. He was not qualified for death. So, you get yeah. So, the whole thing. So, let's, okay. Because I want to tell you why it's important that when we, when the apostles lay down something, we must believe all of it. I want to explain why, but Brush MP is quiet. So, I was also thinking of, um, just to make it clear, that these heresies are usually, um, taking one important aspect of our faith. For example, antinomianism, right, makes us, um, <laughs> so makes us do this thing where we say that someone who is saved can still do whatever he likes. Now, that is not apostolic doctrine. So if I believe that I am saved, but I can keep doing whatever I like, despite the fact that Apostle John said that he was sins of the devil and all yeah. those things, right? Then... I am not a Christian. Yeah. Apostle John says that you are a child of Satan for thinking that way. Now, we are the ones, okay, no, let me say we are the ones, but you may be confused by the big names and think that they are far-fetched realities, like far-fetched options, that all, all these options must align. It's not a matter of there's option A somewhere, option B somewhere, option D somewhere that must align. It's a matter of believing the Bible. When a man comes and says that, oh, I believe the Bible, I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins, but I also believe that now that he has died for my sins, right, I can now continue to sin because someone has taken the punishment. Then I don't believe the Bible. Yeah. I am not saved. Yeah. And it's a part of the reason why it is important that we believe everything the apostles taught, everything the apostles taught is this. This is how Satan comes into the church. He will ask you, did God really see? When... <laughs> <laughs> When Satan asks you, did God really say? What he's doing is that he wants to put a wedge between you and God that will put you on that path of one minute past 12 that when you follow it logically to the end, will take you somewhere far from God. So a person might sound like as if he's saying, I believe Jesus died rather than sin, but he's preaching modernism and he's preaching Arianism and he's preaching Pelagianism. It doesn't seem like that. By the next generation, it's one minute past 12. By the next generation, the people that grew up hearing that there is no original sin will, will grow up in an aspect, in a world, where it is normal to say that there is no original sin. And in that kind of milieu, imagine a world where people actually believe that I'm righteous. I'm born righteous. The person is now doing alphabet life. 
She will now say, who are you to tell me that what my sin is, is wrong? I don't have any guilt because I'm righteous and I don't have to do everything wrong. Now says, in fact, what I'm doing is even in my flesh, it's not in my spirit. This is how heterodox denominations are born. That's why the apostles insisted. This is the reason why in orthodoxy, the ecumenical councils and the early church fathers were insistent. They would not give, that's why it says, look at the way Paul said it in Acts chapter 18. He says, we did not give them an inch of what? Space. We did not give them one more. It's not a matter of all of us are serving the same Jesus. We all believe Jesus died, but you can be modalist or be a Trinitarian. God will reveal it to you. The lies. An unacceptable difference. Because when there was a time when people were saying that you ought to be circumcised before you can be saved. That kind of matter, you don't say all of us believe Jesus died. Because what the person is telling you is that very, very soon, there will be a bunch of Christians that will be telling people that they are going to hell if they are not born again. If they are not, if they are not circumcised. So any matter that impinges on the gospel is not a matter of you've affirmed something, but what you're affirming is incoherent, let's leave you. No, you must believe everything that is coherent with the gospel. We will not give you an inch of space. That's why the Nigerian church is where it is today. We're giving everybody an inch of space. Everybody, inch of space. Now some people are in the bush. I, I just want to say something. This one, I'm, I'm, arguing, I'm saying it from experience to what Bashir has said. Traditionally, if you grew up in a Christian home, your parents are Trinitarian. If you have, they are born again and believe God. They might not be able to articulate it. Now, and I agree with what Chris has said. Everybody has said that if you're a modalist, you can't be saved because it takes you being deliberate to look at things in the gospel. Because if, if you tell your mother and father that Jesus is the Son of God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, they will tell you yes. They yeah. might not be able to articulate it. Yeah. Like someone that went to school and so very brilliant. That's different exactly. from someone telling you that now, now we anywhere people, that Jesus is not inside you, Jesus is not. Now there. we have people that you believe that you is there in the Bible, the scriptures. You now use the same scriptures to come out with a modalist version. That means that you deliberately rejected the gospel. Yeah. That's that's just the truth. Then you rejected the gospel and said, No, Jesus is Jesus, the Father and Jesus are the same. The Father died on the cross. Just it's the, that, it's the father that died on the cross. The father is the one that is at his own right hand. Stephen says that I saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the father. Jesus was standing at the right hand. He said, he said no, it's actually Jesus is giving you. How, does, how do you even reconcile that? You have to reject it. Exactly. Heaven inside of you. When you die, you enter into heaven. Yeah. It can't work. Hallelujah. Praise God. So, praise God. Listen to me. Listen to me. There's something that we do, right? And I'll just round up with this. There's something that we do that the people of the world always do. Always do. <laughs> people of the world always do. <laughs> Listen. It is not up to you to drop the standard of what is acceptable. It's just like when we say this sin is a small sin. This sin is a big sin. Or our sin is not so bad. Why is God sending people to hell for their sin? What did I do that is so bad? You don't do that with the doctrine of Christ. You don't say it's just a little difference. How did the Muratorian fragment put it? I love it. Those early church people, they, they sabi poor. He says that just the same way we cannot drink honey just because there's a drop of poison inside. We cannot take a gospel from someone that you put a drop of poison inside. Nobody's going to come and wind me with, did God say again? It doesn't matter how plenty and nice the water is. If you drop only one drop of poison inside, it is enough to kick the cup away. So, a little modalism with speaking in tongues does not make you a Christian. 
I mean actual modalism, not um, I didn't go to school. Actual modalism, a, a proper Arianism with plenty of speaking in tongues and deliverance. It is not today that people that are going to hell are doing signs in his name. No be today. Hell will be full of people that did signs in his name. Hallelujah. So what you're going to do is that throughout the week till next week, I wanted to think of all the other topics that we, that we can talk about and discuss. And then we'll um, talk. We need to close. Just suggest some, some topic. Yes. Computerizing versus again. We'll uh, write it down. So everything we're going to talk about. <laughs> we're going to talk about. <laughs> we're going to talk about everything next Wednesday. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. This message is brought to you by this excellent church. We excel at reshaping people's values and reconciling men to God. You're about to hear peace and preach. Be blessed.